the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Now, here's the host of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show, Josh Pick. Hi, everyone. I'm Diane Brennan. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well, Diane. How are you? It's great to be here. I'm well, thanks. And you and the family are good. You're still working from home. Everybody's doing well. Uh, went shopping this weekend, and we're back in the land of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, so I guess we're moving in the right direction. It's progress, right? What's, uh, yes. what's happening with the markets? What is the latest as COVID-19 continues and we remain in smack in the middle of this pandemic? Well, certainly volatility hasn't changed. Um, we've had quite a surge back up. Um, that's leading to a lot of optimism in some fronts. Uh, and then, of course, that's met with an equal amount of pessimism. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, reports from different managers that we have. And for the first time, I believe in in my career uh, and looking at the reports that I'm seeing, it seems like, you know, there's different asset classes, Diane. There's, you know, bonds and stocks and, and you know, there's international stocks and small stocks and big stocks. And uh, it seems like every money manager can make a case for each one of this and each one of those asset classes in both directions, meaning that uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. We're good. We should invest in this. And then, you know, to the same front. No, this is this is not a good sign. So I think the uncertainty is still very present in the market. Um, you know, I guess to recap kind of where we are in relation to the pandemic, um, you know, things are, are starting to improve. Like I said, where there's toilet paper back in the stores, we we have uh, we have hand sanitizer. We're hearing uh, rumors about companies like Johnson & Johnson are starting to develop, uh, or at least starting, I, I believe I heard, human trials for um, a, a test and a vaccine. Um, you have most states around the country seem to be flattening the curve, with the exception, of course, of, uh, you know, some of the very densely populated areas like New York City, at least in Ohio, it seems like the uh, the steps we've taken have has stalled out the progress. Um, President Trump uh, said he's briefed governors now and he's starting with this uh, three page three phase. Uh, I believe he used the word blueprint, which made me happy. I'll let him use it because uh, that's our, our word. But <laughs> just don't just uh, charge him a little royalty fee. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. But um, 
you know, he's kind of leaving it to the states and to the governors on how they want to reopen. Um, last I heard, uh, Governor DeWine says that he is going to uh, come up with his plan and start the moving back to the new normal, I suppose, um, here coming in May 1st. Now, what that'll mean for the markets uh, is still yet to be seen. What that'll mean for the reintegration of people back into their jobs is yet to be seen. But uh, at least it's a step in the right direction. Are you advising your clients or, or people that ask you about the markets? Because we're having some swings, positive one day, negative the next. Are you just telling them don't pay attention to that and uh, just look at the big picture? Um, sometimes. I think it depends on where you are in your, uh, your savings and retirement picture. Uh, if you're a year away from retirement, and you know we've had a recent surge. Now, I, I just got done saying volatility is, is certainly there. Does that mean you should pull all your money out of the market? Of course not. But if you were already overly invested in the stock market and you had very little money positioned into safe asset classes that can provide you income in your retirement, then I highly recommend that people start considering selling into these, uh, into these booms, selling into the, the surges. Um, and then again, on the flip side, if you're younger or you have the financial time horizon to uh, you know, kind of wear out these swings, uh, or, or last through the swings, then it's a great time to start buying on some of these drops. So you do the old adage, right, Diane, and that's buy low, sell high. Um, what you decide to do is, is clearly uh, linked to your individual situation. If you're concerned about the market and you'd like to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, give the office a call to learn more about the Aptis Retirement Blueprint today. The president using your name, Josh. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. So I saw a story talking about how poor retail sales data showed that the market is overvalued. So what does that mean and what kind of effect does that have on someone who's, who's at or in retirement or close to? Well, first, let's talk about, you know, how uh, earnings are reported. You know, we hear Q1, Q2, Q3, and most people in business understand that means first quarter, second quarter, et cetera. But if you're not in this field, it, it might be confusing when you hear that. So quarter one is, is January through March. And if you think about, you know, quarter one reports came out and they weren't that bad. Um, it, but that stands to reason and that the coronavirus lockdown didn't occur until the last couple of weeks or the last few weeks of, of quarter one. Quarter two, on the other hand, is where we're really going to have some potential disastrous economic feedback, meaning that now we're monitoring April through June. And if we don't even get people back to work until, you know, May, mid-May, sometimes for, you know, restaurants, et cetera, it might be even longer than that. The full brunt of the economic impact of this lockdown really isn't going to uh, show its face until quarter two numbers are reported. So then people start talking about, although, you know, the stock market looks attractive, is it actually overvalued because those Q2 earnings haven't been uh, released yet? So what does overvalued mean? Anytime you look at a business, uh, you look at the quote unquote sale value of a business. So if you own a accounting firm, for example, and you wanted to sell your accounting firm, somebody would be willing to pay a certain multiple of what your accounting firm is worth. So if you made $100,000 in your accounting firm, somebody might come in and say, I'll pay $200,000 or two times uh, your earnings. That's the value of your company. And of course, you know, back if you look back in the uh, late 90s when we were in the dot-com bubble, these valuations were going crazy. You had companies that weren't showing any income that were selling for astronomical prices, and people were saying, what is the 
what is the value of this company? And they were selling for, you know, hundreds of times of multiples of what their earnings were. That was clearly a situation where it was overvalued. And the only reason people were willing to buy that is because they were assigning some sort of intangible value to future ability of that company, where it's much easier to look at a company that's been around a long time, consistent, kind of plug in Johnson & Johnson, for example, we mentioned earlier. That company is very much a value company. It's had very consistent earnings over the years. It's much easier, arguably, to assign a valuation of that company because it's had very consistent earnings year over year. Whereas if we look at a company like um, you know, Tesla, uh, not that it's a bad company, but the growth pattern of that has been so volatile and they're very heavily involved in the uh, research and development side, what do we assign as a value there? Well, now that I've kind of exhausted what valuation is here, I think the big challenge right now is because of what's going on in the market and because we haven't seen earnings and because we're still lacking a lot of information of what the new normal is going to be, is the way we viewed valuations before still true? Or is there some sort of intangible here with the new norm uh, where maybe they're overvalued and maybe we're actually paying too much for these companies and maybe they still have further to fall? The truth is still yet to be told. We'll see how it all plays out, but it all comes back to that, back to the very beginning when we started talking, and that is if you are overweighted in aggressive uh, stock market positions and you're going to need access to income for your retirement plan anytime soon, I would highly recommend selling into the, the surges and repositioning and reevaluating um, on the drops and maybe even repurchasing, but we still have a long road ahead of us, Diane. With the bailouts or the assistance or the grants or the loans that um, small business is getting or bigger businesses seem to be getting and small businesses aren't, do you see any kind of effect on that on the markets? Oh, well, certainly it's a Band-Aid. The question is, is this a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound? It's keeping people working, which is good. It's keeping consumption up. There's certain companies that have certainly benefited, for example, um, you know, I'm sure you have Costco uh, all around. We have Costco all around the country, right? But we have Costco right, right, uh, right here, and and Costco has been two-hour waits at the door. I'm, I'm seeing that all around the country. So Costco's done very, very well, but that's starting to pull back now. Um, so, you know, we'll see kind of which companies start to be affected uh, down the line. But consumer staples have done really well because we're keeping people working with bailouts, et cetera. But when those bailouts stop, somebody's one going to have to pay for those bailouts and what impact is that going to have in the economy? And then once the bailouts stop, are those companies financially stable enough to keep those people working? So was it the Band-Aid that was necessary to keep people working that will continue to stay working? Or was it a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound that uh, just delayed the inevitable layoffs anyway? Again, the truth is yet to be seen. Well, and that's what I'm concerned about, and I'm sure a lot of Americans are, is that who's going to pay for all these bailouts? It's going to be the American taxpayer. It always is. Yep. So, again, what that means on the market, which is, you know, my, my field, uh, and what it means for financial planning is, like we talked about last week, plan for both scenarios. Uh, it's very possible that we pulled a rabbit out of our hat and uh, we handled this perfectly and the market will resurge. Um, I can show you economic data to support that. But I can also show economic data on the other side that, um, maybe we were due for a correction to begin with, and this exacerbated the problem and made it worse, and the cliff will be far far steeper than it would have been before. So you need to have uh, the financial reserves and the financial war chest build up 
so that you can weather that storm and play the long game. People have to be prepared because the market has always been cyclical. This isn't, this isn't a surprise. This is nothing new. Uh, when scenarios like this hit, it just, it just brings to light uh, the scenario a lot quicker and it can make it steeper. You know, I, I, I've heard a lot of people talking about, you know, the longer we, we delay the debt, the longer we don't start coming up with solutions to the debt, the bigger the problem's going to be. I agree with that. But what did we do when we not only have that debt, have delayed the debt, and now we're increasing our tax dollar payout in the form of bailouts and companies are hurting? It could set up for quite the perfect storm. We don't know, but we better be prepared. What about people's anxiety? Do you have a lot of clients that because you've positioned them well, they're fine? I mean, I go for days and I'm like, oh, this is no <clears> problem. And then I just suddenly freak out one day and wonder what is going to happen and, and about my future. Well, I, I mean, if you know that you have a plan in place where the income that you're living off of is consistent, steady, and unlinked to the performance of the stock market and completely insulated from drops, which everybody should have at least a percentage of their income that's set up that way, then certainly your blood pressure is a lot lower than people who were planning on just uh, you know, pulling a flat percentage out of their 100% equity position, that's for sure. I think you know, we're also in the perfect storm for anxiety. We're all working from home, dealing with challenges of working from home. We might be raising kids at home. There's a lot of stuff going on that already raises our anxiety. And then on top of that, you raise complete and utter uncertainty as to what the future holds. If you don't have some sort of training wheels on that bike to, to help you along the path, meaning I have guaranteed money, meaning I have something that adds solidarity to my portfolio, I mean, yeah, it would be absolutely terrifying. So I have plenty of clients that are looking at this, quite frankly, as an opportunity in the long run. While they're certainly not happy about the short-run impact of where they're at, they say, you know, I know my income's completely fine. I know that we prepared for this, and this could create some really interesting opportunities uh, on the purchasing side of things. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. When we come back, we're going to discuss Social Security. I'm Diane Brennan. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. Or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614 364 7300. That's 614 364 7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. It is common advice. We have all heard it. Do not rely on Social Security. So, Josh, at what point can we count on it? Or do we act and invest and plan like we're not getting 
any of it? Well, I think it would be foolish to assume that we're not going to get any Social Security. I think there's no doubt that there's going to have to be some changes made in the future um, in relation to Social Security. I mean, it's been a kind of the, uh, the, the drunk uncle nobody wants to talk about uh, for a long time. I mean, it's, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, we know that it's a broken system, but nobody wants to fix it. But I think it would be absolute political suicide to eliminate Social Security for any batch of people. So I don't think it's going away. But I think there is some facts that you need to worry about with Social Security, and that is it is underfunded. So will the benefits be reduced in the future is a huge concern. Um, as of right now, if you look at the stats nationwide, it only accounts for about 40% of people's income anyway. So if you were 100% counting on Social Security taking care of you in the future, it's not going to take care of you to, to the degree of 100%. As a matter of fact, when it was started, it was considered an insurance policy. They still call your benefit your primary insurance amount. And that insurance policy was literally just to provide a base level of income to keep you out of poverty, meaning that you're not going to starve if you have Social Security. But by no means was it designed to pay your mortgage and uh, buy you a new car. So uh, that said, don't plan on it counting uh, or covering 100% of your income. The other thing that's changed over the years is how they calculate inflation adjustments on your Social Security, meaning that every single year, or at least most years, your Social Security benefit will go up by some sort of cost of living adjustment. However, over the years, one way that uh, you know Washington can reduce their liability is determine how they want to calculate that cost of living adjustment, and it has changed significantly over the years. For example, um, and I'll oversimplify this, but let's say that, you know, the cost of milk goes up by 30%, but for the same type of technology, or a computer, you know, you can get the same RAM and memory in a computer next year for 30% less than you paid for it this year. Well, then, you know, they could theoretically offset and then cost of living didn't go anywhere. Well, I assure you when you're living purely off of Social Security or that's a large percentage of your income, you certainly are are much more concerned about milk than the cost of the computer, and that could have a detrimental effect. So I think there's, there's two big challenges that you have to look at when you're, when you're using Social Security as an income source in retirement. Number one is what percentage of my income can I count on out of it? And then number two, is it going to keep up with inflation at the rate that I want to plan it for, or do I have to strain my other assets a little bit more, my other income sources to cover the, to cover the gap? We can't bank on the fact that Social Security may still be there, but we can bank on the fact that it's definitely not going to keep up with inflation. Well, we can bank on the fact that it's not going to look the same. You know, as I sit here, I'll be 42 in a couple of months. And, um, you know, full retirement age when Social Security started was 65. The average life expectancy at that time was less than 65. So it was a pretty well-funded program. Where now, uh, if you're married and over the age of 65, there's a greater than 90% chance that one of you will exceed 90 and the average full, re or the full retirement age for most people who are closing in on retirement is 66, 67 at the top. I think you know there's some huge likelihood that full retirement ages for people that are in the lower age category are going to start to stretch out. So I think you know let, let's talk a little bit about what I think could change because th that's something when I when I do speaking engagements, everybody always asks you know what are the facts and then what do you think is going to change. Um, one that people don't know that I think is very low-hanging fruit that you just anticipate is right now the highest percentage of Social Security that you can be taxed on is 85%. Uh, 
meaning that you're not taxed at the 85% level, but 85% of your Social Security can go into your income and in turn be taxed at whatever income tax bracket you're at. I was really shocked when they made uh, a pretty sweeping overhaul of Social Security back in 2015 that it wasn't raised to 100% of your Social Security can be taxed if you're in the higher income brackets. I fully anticipate that happening. Um, the reduction of benefits, uh, and you know, that would be one that I feel like Washington can kind of sneak in on us without letting us know. And you know, we're just going to reduce the calculation of how our benefits are, are, are determined, meaning that there's a calculation to determine what your benefits are. Well, if we just start kind of messing with the numbers, we can reduce what you're going to receive when you get there, and nobody really pays attention to that calculation. I think that could occur. Cost of living adjustments could change. The raise of the full retirement age, I think, will absolutely happen. I, I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. And the next logical question is how high do I think it could go? Um, I would anticipate that my full retirement age will be at least 70, maybe 72 by the time I, I round the turn and get to Social Security. Uh, another one that's always tossed around in, in the political circles uh, is how much of your income you are taxed on to pay into Social Security while you're working. So we've been talking about the distribution of things, but let's talk about how we fund it because we're underfunded. Everybody knows that. So how are we going to fund Social Security? <clears throat> well, right now you pay a percentage of your income towards Social Security. And that percentage of your income is between 6 and 7%. Uh, and then if your employer pays the other half of that, so Social Security gets a total of... Um, you know, 12 to 14 percent, and then there's another percentage that goes on top of that for Medicare. Right now, there's a cap on how much of your income can be taxed for Social Security at that six to seven percent range. So if you make $200,000 a year, you're only taxed on, and, and don't quote me on this, I believe it's about $130,000. Once you exceed $130,000, you no longer pay that Social Security tax. So I get calls every year that says, hey, you know, my check went up. I don't know why. I want to make sure I don't uh, owe money at the end of the year from a tax perspective. Why did that happen? Well, a lot of times it's the Social Security piece. Well, the left side of the aisle is always trying to raise that. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just what's always happening. The left side of the aisle is always trying to take that cap off in its entirety. And that cap goes up pretty much every single year. The right side of the aisle is always trying to keep that cap down. I think at some point... Uh, there's probably going to be, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but there might be an agreement in government that we need to raise it, but to what degree we need to raise it is always the argument. But that's something that I envision has continually climbed, and it might climb a little bit more exponentially. And then the one that has everybody absolutely terrified on the distribution side is something called means testing. Have you ever heard of that, Diane? No. I'm really young. I've never, I've never, I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding, but no, I've never heard of it. Uh, so means testing is the idea that Social Security is there for insurance for people who don't have the money to take care of themselves. So a means test would stay if you have enough money to take care of yourself without Social Security, then and no, you're not entitled to any Social Security. Um, we've heard this. Uh, many, many times over the years, it doesn't seem to be getting traction, but as the deficit builds, as uh, you know, these types of bailouts increase, could that push that to the front? That is a very concerning question, meaning I've saved my whole life, I've uh, delayed gratification, 
Uh, I've not bought that fancy car so I could put money in my 401k. I've done all the right things, and now I have this 401k that's worth a million dollars. I've also paid in at a very high level to Social Security because I was a you know a higher wage earner, and I'm not entitled to any Social Security. I don't get any because I've done all the right things, and uh, I don't get it. That one has uh, a lot of my clients very concerned. Uh, it has everybody very concerned, I would, I would think, or at least people who have paid in a lot to Social Security. That one's terrifying. Um, and then the question becomes, how do we plan and how do we uh, allocate our resources to hopefully uh, kind of navigate this labyrinth to make sure that we fall into the category that would still receive benefits? If they look at your tax return, Roth IRA distributions aren't, uh, aren't considered taxable income. Um, there's a, a couple other strategies, but the concern is always how do I position what I've saved to make sure that I don't get uh, thrown out of the equation. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, just give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So, Josh, still talking about Social Security, you're mentioning things that have, have been looming issues with Social Security. What kind of impact do you think everything that's happening right now uh, with COVID-19, uh, this pandemic, what kind of effect could that have on Social Security? Well, let's look at it at a very baseline. Uh, Let's look at the easy part of it. If people are laid off, and there's a tremendous amount of people that are laid off right now, and they're collecting unemployment. So if you're collecting unemployment, you're certainly not paying into Social Security. So that is, you know, millions of workers not paying into Social Security. Well, Social Security is no more complicated than money comes in and money goes out. And one of the challenges that we've had is if we go back to when Social Security started, there were tons of people paying in, um, you know, five, six, seven people paying in for every one person collecting, and they were only collecting for a short period of time. Now we look at today, and uh, I've seen estimates that there's three people paying in right now and, and soon to be two for every one person collecting, and the possibility of them collecting for 20-plus years is pretty significant. So any amount of time where we don't have those workers paying in, it's a huge strain on Social Security. On top of that, um, Social Security has long been used as a fund to help fund other programs. Uh, we can debate as whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but it, you don't have to look very far to find scenarios where that occurred. Back in 2015, $150 billion was taken out of Social Security retirement to fund Social Security disability. Uh, that happened in 2015. It was supposed to fund Social Security disability for uh, till 2022. Now, Anytime something like this occurs, uh, where there's a huge layoff of workers, disability claims certainly go up. Um, it just it just happens. People are if if you're faced with a situation where you have to protect your family, you're going to look at every resource possible to try and do that. So, will the disability claims add a further uh, strain or a greater strain back on Social Security? I would be uh, shocked if it didn't. So, I think. You know, those are two very easy examples to point to, but there's no doubt that these types of scenarios add strain to Social Security, and that will continue. To schedule your complimentary, customized planning session, the number to call is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Next, the upcoming presidential election and its effect on the markets when we come back. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. 
We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. I'm Diane Brennan. You've been listening to the Aptus Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.